Well, good morning, church. Again, it's good to, good to have all of you with us. And um, thank you, brother, for reading the Word of God to us this morning. This is a famous text. Um, people use the word that we heard, born again, today in, in so many ways that it's almost become robbed of meaning. So what does it mean to be born again? I'm glad you asked. As we go through this text this morning, we're going we're gonna to try to answer that question, and I hope you'll see that what it means, in essence, is that God changes us from the inside out. But first, um, let's, uh, let's look at the man who Jesus is talking with, and, and our first point this morning is that man focuses on outward appearances, but God cares about the heart. So God is not impressed by outward appearances, like, like we are. And, and the truth is that our culture today is obsessed and consumed with the outward appearance. Think about commercials. What, what do you see in commercials? Do you, do you see character emphasized in commercials? Or do you see fashion and, and external things? Or think about social media. Is social media all about character? Or is it about image? Well, you can apply this principle to so many things today. Think about how we shop for cars, right? You're interested in a car and you go online and you look at pictures. What, what are the pictures of the car usually? Is it usually, do you see like 20 pictures of the engine and the transmission and, and the, the things that are actually essential to the car's job? Or do you see pictures of, of the outside? Maybe a picture of the, of the inside, or maybe not. Maybe, maybe people don't really want to see what their used car, you know, you just see what their used car looks like on the inside. But you see all these shiny angles from the outside, right? But what matters ultimately? We could talk about a number of things. We could talk about parenting. And this is maybe where it gets real, where it hurts a little bit, even for me, okay, as a parent of two teenagers uh, and one who will be one soon, uh, in a couple years, what do we focus on with our children? Do we focus on behavior modification or heart transformation? Well, what does that mean exactly? Well, I, I hope, and, and I'm a fellow pilgrim, certainly not a perfect dad, right? But I hope that what that means is that, that even as we lovingly shepherd and discipline our, our kids when they're younger, um, hopefully that we're always pointing them to the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's not about just how you behave, it's about the heart. And, and, and that, that we need heart transformation and, and hopefully your kids see you in the word, reading God's word and, 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 and communing with him in, in prayer. That it's all about heart transformation. Well, a, a question that we could ask if we wanna know what consumes our own mind more. Uh, this morning, as you prepare to come to church, did you spend more time grooming the outside or the inside? Now, I'm not against grooming the outside, okay? Uh, I, I don't mind at all. In fact, I would recommend a shower. That's a good thing, okay? Uh, and, and I think it's great to comb your hair, all right, if you've got hair that's long enough to, you know, need, need, need that kind of thing. Um, but did you spend more time preparing the outside of the appearance that people would see to make an impression, 
Or did you spend more time preparing your heart to worship a holy God uh, and, and to commune with him, to confess sin even, so that you would not come uh, before him in an unworthy, unworthy manner? Well, 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 7 says, For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks upon the heart. For the, for the Christian, that is comforting at the end of the day because he knows us. He knows our hearts. And, and, and though we know we're vile sinners, he has, he has transformed our hearts. He's the one who's given us new hearts. And the blood of Christ cleanses our heart. But I'll tell you, if, if you don't know the Lord, if you truly have not yet been born again, that, that should be a fearful thing because the Lord looks at the heart and he knows the intentions, the thoughts of the heart. So let's consider this morning the outward appearance of this character that we see interacting with Jesus, a man named Nicodemus. In verse 1, we read, now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. And in that one sentence, we actually learn a lot about this man. He, he was a Pharisee, and we who are conditioned to all the stories of Jesus going toe-to-toe with the Pharisees, think of them as bad guys, probably, okay? Because we think of them as, as like these religious hypocrites who maybe use the, their spiritual power to dominate other people, right? And so they are in that bad guy category. But you need to understand that, that to the Jew of Jesus' day, these guys were the good guys, you wanted your kid, if your kid grew up, if your son grew up to be a Pharisee, you would be proud, okay? They were the cream of the crop. These were impressively righteous and religious people. They were zealous for God's law. And let's not forget, God's law is grace. It is grace. It is a good thing. Now, it shows us uh, by all of its commands that we are not good and that we need a Savior, but God's law was his revelation of love to his people, And these guys were zealous for it. They had, in fact, figured it out that the Torah, which is the Old Testament, had 613 commandments. There were 248 thou shalt's and 365 thou shalt nots. That's one per year, by the way, by my count. Um, That they had figured out. And they were all about following these laws to the minute detail. They had them memorized. In fact, they believed that, um, that, that, you know, it's better to, and, and, and it's, they're, they're not wrong in this, but that it's better to, hey, let's build a fence, not right, right on the edge of the cliff. Maybe it should be back a few feet, you know, a little further back. So they'd actually created more laws to help them follow the 613 laws that the Bible explicitly gave, okay? And, and these men made a solemn vow when they became Pharisees in front of three witnesses that they would follow the letter of each of these 613 commands to the T all of their days as long as they had breath in their chest. It it meant something to them. Now, Nicodemus was serious about pleasing God by following his law. Nicodemus was uh, a man that you would trust. Okay, when, when, when the Bible says thou shalt not lie, he meant that and he did all in his power to always speak the truth and, and, and maybe that would have made you uncomfortable sometimes. Um, uh, honey, how do you like my dress? He was always going to speak the truth, right? Because you shall not lie. 
Um, but he was a man that people would have trusted. He was considered a good guy. And he knew theology. Jesus actually called him later, uh, and it was even in a, in a bit of a reproof, but he called him the teacher of Israel, which frankly may have meant that Nicodemus was considered by those in Jerusalem to be the preeminent theological authority, right, uh, at that time. Moreover, he was a ruler of the Jews, we read. And so what that means is Nicodemus was a member of the 70-member Sanhedrin. Okay, so this was a council that was led by the high priest, but it was a council that were considered to have spiritual authority over every Jew on the planet. Whether you lived in Israel or whether you lived in the diaspora, you submitted religiously to this uh, court of, of, of scholars and authorities. So put in today's scene, Nicodemus uh, coming by night to meet with Jesus, it would be like a, either a Supreme Court justice or a senator coming to meet with Jesus. This was a man who commanded great respect in his society and in his culture. And we see here that this man was genuinely intrigued by Jesus. Um, he didn't come to trick Jesus, as other Pharisees later did. Uh, he came from sincerity of heart. He was intrigued by Jesus. And Nicodemus himself, we, we think, had actually witnessed some of Jesus's signs and, and wonders that he was doing in Jerusalem. And so in verse 2, we read, this man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. So Nicodemus actually shows great humility and respect towards Jesus. For, for him, the preeminent theological uh, expert in Jerusalem, to look at a, at a carpenter from Nazareth with no formal education, right? Maybe Jesus had something like a, a sixth grade level education, okay? So for him to call him rabbi or teacher, that, that was just a, a sign of heartfelt, significant, genuine respect. And, and it shows, I believe, that we see here seeds of faith in Nicodemus's heart in this conversation. Now, Nicodemus would have believed what everybody else did, and that was that he was on uh, top of the heap. He was cream of the crop uh, in the kingdom of God. And what we see here that Jesus tells Nicodemus with his response is that you're not even there yet. You're not even in the kingdom yet. Jesus essentially tells him, I am not impressed by your outward pedigree or your platitudes. It's not enough. Now, last week, we talked about the doctrine of total depravity, right? We, 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 we talked about that even the most righteous or religious human cannot stand before a holy God who sees right into the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. That every facet of our being is fallen. That would be our, not only our mind or our will, but every aspect of who we are is fallen. That does not mean that we're as sinful as we possibly can be, but it does mean that we are desperately in need of God's grace. And nothing that we can do uh, through our own merit, through our own religious activity, can outdo the wickedness that we've done and that's in our heart before a holy God, which is why we need the gospel. 
That's the bad news. Total depravity is the bad news of the gospel. But it, it makes the good news of the gospel shine. That God, in his love, while we are still sinners, demonstrated that by sending Christ to die for us in our place. But no matter how religious or righteous we think we are, God does see, and if we're not in Christ, he is repulsed by our sin. And so what Jesus is conveying to Nicodemus is that if you want to be a part of God's kingdom, you need a heart transplant. You need a heart transformation from the inside. You need a rebirth, a spiritual rebirth. And so our first point is God focuses on the outward appearance, but I'm sorry, man focuses on the outward appearance, but God cares about the heart, the heart of man and woman. And the, the second point here is good news. That is God transforms hearts through the power of his spirit. Now, Nicodemus was, and I think this is important, Nicodemus was a brilliant, highly educated man. And I believe what we see here in these next few verses is Jesus contextualizing. You know, Jesus met people where they were. He could, do, he could use earthy stories uh, to talk to the crowds. I believe that what we see here is Jesus actually engaging Nicodemus in what we might call dynamic, metaphorical language that the average guy in the street wouldn't get, but the teacher of Israel would. And that's important, okay? So in, in verse three, Jesus answers Nicodemus, uh, and it's, it's actually a very strong answer he gives him. He says to him, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. So what does it mean to be born again? Imagine you're hearing these words for the first time. We've heard, we've heard and used and maybe overused and maybe abused this terminology such that companies will call themselves born again, right? Sometimes uh, in, in sports they talk about it as you know, someone who's, who's been redeemed and had a, had a new opportunity. What does it mean to be born again? All kinds of people uh, from Jimmy Carter to Larry Flint have claimed to be born again. Well, Pastor Matt Carter explains the meaning. Jesus says it's a spiritual birth. The Spirit of God makes a person alive and new from the inside. The new birth happens when God's Spirit animates the human spirit, making a person alive to the things of God. It's the total transformation of a person from the inside out. You see, sometimes we may be tempted to come to God and to say, hey, God, I've got this problem. I, I got this, you know, I got this, this mark, this spot. Can you, can you clean that for me? But, but God says, you don't need to be cleaned up a little. You need to be made new. You need a new heart. Calvin called this not the correction of one part, but the renovation of the whole nature. Carter states, God is not interested in your personal remodeling project. He wants to remake and reshape you from the inside. This spiritual heart transplant was prophesied in the Old Testament. In the book of Ezekiel, chapter 36, God says and promises in verse 25, I will sprinkle clean water on you. 
And you shall be clean from all your uncleanness, and from all your idols I will cleanse you. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey all my rules. Now, remember what I said about Nicodemus being an incredibly intelligent man. And Jesus meeting him at his theological level with some dynamic language, okay? I think they were having a conversation where they understood each other. Some, some people um, misunderstand, and it's certainly easy to do that, to, to read this and misunderstand Nicodemus's response. If you just read this um, quickly, you might think that Nicodemus here is taking Jesus literally and standing there dumbly confused by what Jesus is saying about being born again. Okay, in verse 4, Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he's old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Well, Kent Hughes explains that Nicodemus knew exactly what was going on when Jesus said that he needed to be born again. The rabbis had a saying, a proselyte who embraces Judaism is like a newborn child. All things were thought to be completely new. Old connections destroyed. So when Nicodemus heard Jesus' words, he knew what Jesus was saying. And maybe that's the first time you've, you've heard that before. But I think that Nicodemus responded to Jesus with dynamic language, the same way that Jesus was speaking to him. And I think what Nicodemus was basically saying is, how? How can a man who has spent all his life devoted to pleasing God through carefully following the minute letters of the law, how can he just completely change his perspective? I think he got what Jesus was saying. But he's saying, how, can, how is that possible? It, you might as well tell me that a man can just be reborn when he's old. So it was a how question instead of a what question. And so Jesus' answer to Nicodemus was that this spiritual heart transplant does not happen through human energy and effort, but by the power of the Holy Spirit. And we see Jesus reply in verse 5, truly, truly, and I love this, literally what he says is amen, amen. As he said this before, he said, you must be born again if you want to see the kingdom of God. He says, amen, amen, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Now let's talk about this interesting choice of words that Jesus uses here. Uh, one must be born of water and the Spirit. What is Jesus talking about? Well, as best as I can tell, there are three possibilities here. And you're not a heretic, by the way, if you um, believe, uh, uh, have a different interpretation than I do, because godly people have different understandings here. It's a, Jesus, again, was talking with, with very dynamic metaphorical languages that, that I think Nicodemus was understanding. I think they were having a, 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 a heart-to-heart, high-level discussion, okay? And so, but Jesus says, you must be born of water and the Spirit. So what are these three possibilities? And, and there may be more out there. You can only read so many uh, scholars in a week. But I've found three. The first is what I thought until probably Tuesday. And that is that Jesus is talking about physical birth and spiritual birth. Water 
and the Spirit. And, and you can kind of get that in the context if you just speed read through this, through this passage, okay? Uh, you know, if you speed read verse 6, it might sound like, okay, he's talking about the flesh and the Spirit. So you need to be born physically and then born spiritually. However, Jesus really isn't talking about physical birth here at all with Nicodemus. And why would he say that people need to be born physically as the first prerequisite for being saved? That seems kind of redundant. And Jesus doesn't waste words in this conversation. So what are the other two possibilities besides, okay, yeah, you need a physical birth and then a spiritual birth? That kind of fits if you have the view that many have had that, you know, he's saying, hey, knucklehead, I'm not talking about the, 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 the physical birth. I'm talking about a spiritual birth. I'm talking spiritually here. You know, uh, get it together, which actually I don't think is what was going on here. Well, many, this is the second possibility for the meaning of water and the Spirit. Um, many, including early church fathers like Chrysostom, have associated water here with baptism. And there, I think there is a danger in that, in that that could lead to the false doctrine, and it has, of baptismal regeneration. That would be that we are actually saved through water baptism. And so there have been many Christians throughout the centuries who've believed that. That, yeah, faith is involved, but uh, it's really through baptism. And so that's why our, our Catholic friends uh, make sure to baptize babies uh, as soon as they can to bring them into the kingdom of God. Okay, that's where they get that idea, one of the, one of the places. Well, water baptism uh, is a picture, and we talked about that this morning a little bit. It's a picture of what the Holy Spirit has already done inside, your spiritual baptism. Maybe you hear people talk about the, the, the phraseology, I was baptized with the Spirit. And, and some folks misunderstand and think that that happens at some point in, in, in some Christians' lives after salvation. But the Bible talks about baptism of the Holy Spirit is, is that moment that the Holy Spirit breathes new life into your soul. It's what we call regeneration. I was lost, now I'm found. I was dead in my trespasses and sin. Right? Not drowning, and the lifeguard threw me the, 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 the ring, and I, and I grabbed it and kind of contributed to my salvation. No, I was on the bottom of the swimming pool, drowned dead. And, and he grabbed me, he pulled me out, he resuscitated me. That's the baptism of the Holy Spirit. When God changes your heart, and he gives you, he takes that, that heart of stone, and he gives you that heart of flesh, and now your deepest inclination, though you still have a sinful nature, your deepest inclination is to know him and to please him, and that's why Christians repent. And that's the only reason anyone can call out in genuine faith to Christ and say, save me. I'm a lost sinner. It's because the, the Holy Spirit has breathed that life into your soul. And so baptism is a picture of, of that very thing, of what God has done for the Christian. That I was, I was dead, but I, am, I, I was identified with Christ. I was buried with him in baptism and raised to walk in newness of life. It's also a picture of being cleansed, being dirty, and being washed by him and made clean. My heart was full of sin, but he has made it white as snow. That doesn't mean that we go on and live sinless, perfectionist lives. We're still battling the flesh. But it means that deepest inclination is to know him and, and we can stand before him. Even after a horrid sin, we can go before the Lord and confess and, and know that, that he makes us righteous because of that work of Jesus. 
Now, I've kind of lost my place here um, because the last couple minutes I've been going off, off script. But we were back talking about Chrysostom and the idea of water baptism, right? Well, water baptism is a picture then of what God's Spirit has done in our hearts, how He has baptized us or regenerated us. Now, some Reformed scholars see a connection here with John's baptism. And I think that, 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 bear, that makes a good point, uh, which John's baptism was not, the bapt- was not Christian baptism, exactly. It was, it was kind of a prequel to Christian baptism. But John's baptism was a baptism of repentance. And in that day, at this point in Judaism, if you were a Gentile and you wanted to become a Jew, you were baptized. And the, the picture was, and you were taken to a river, you were immersed in water. The picture at that time was one of, 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 of being made clean and new. It was actually a picture of kind of new life, but it was about repentance, about changing, turning your orientation from one direction to another. And so Nicodemus would have been very familiar, along with everybody else in Jerusalem, about John the baptizer, who was out there in the Jordan River baptizing everybody a baptism of repentance. So what John did that was different from the Jews, he was not only baptizing um, uh, pagans, Gentiles, he was baptizing everybody. And he was telling everybody, listen, you guys are sinners. We got to prepare for the Messiah. And so come and repent and, and everybody needs to be cleansed. That, that, he was actually kind of a maverick. And, and that was a strong message. And people, many were going out there to the Jordan and being baptized. And he was kind of this, you know, crazy guy, uh, locust eater, wild man that, that, that was kind of a celebrity. People were very intrigued by John the Baptist. So Nicodemus certainly would have uh, known who John was. And so the idea here is that water may refer to the person's responsibility to repent from the sin and the Holy Spirit's reference here of Jesus, that Jesus is making uh, is responsible to regenerate the heart. So the idea here, water and, and the Spirit that Jesus says, is repentance and regeneration. So in other words, Jesus would be saying here, there is no new birth without repentance. So a guy that you know I respect a lot and often quote, uh, Kent Hughes takes this view. In fact, he, he wrote... Did you know that being born again is not merely, quote, asking Jesus into your heart? So listen up, kiddos. Um, Being born again is not just asking Jesus into your heart. If that happens without repentance, it will not bring regeneration and new life. Being born again is a radical change that takes place in a person's life, whereby through repentance and a work of the Spirit, he is given a new nature. And I say, Amen to that. However, I'm, I'm not sure I agree with Hughes that Jesus was talking about repentance here. Okay. The third option here about what Jesus means by being of, born of water and the Spirit is what John Calvin thought, and, and others like Matt Carter agree with Calvin here, and that is that water and the Spirit are synonyms here for the same thing, for the Holy Spirit. And if you look at Matthew chapter 3, verse 11, we see some words of John the Baptist where he, he, he tells the crowd, he said, he's talking about Jesus, and he says in Matthew 3, 11, he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. Now, is, is, is John saying that, that Jesus is going to come and, and literally baptize people with the Spirit and fire? No, he's talking about the same thing. 
with two different words, right? The Holy Spirit is the one who will baptize people, and fire is what describes what the Holy Spirit does in your heart. It gives you power, right? It gives you a fire in your belly if he's, if he's there. He, 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 there's a burning within. And so in, this, in the same way here, what we would see is Jesus doing the same thing, and that would be water describing the work that the Holy Spirit does, the work of cleansing. So water here would refer to um, the Holy Spirit's cleansing, making your heart clean. And I think this is very consistent with something Jesus later said in John chapter 7, verse 37. We read that on the last day of the feast, that great day, Jesus stood up and he cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now, this he said about the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive, for as yet the Spirit had not yet been given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. Now, again, I I wouldn't... um, um, call you a heretic if you disagree, or even go to my death over this, um, over this one. But I would gravitate, I think, towards this interpretation. Matt Carter uh, explains the meaning of Jesus' words here by saying, you need to be clean on the inside, washed with water. You need your heart to come alive by my spirit. Then and only then will you be able to obey me. Now, regardless of whether you really have any of these, you know, number one, two, or three, in terms of your understanding what Jesus meant by water and the Spirit, we know that if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away before the new, or sorry, behold, the new has come. And so Jesus goes on to to illustrate that fact. He says, that which is born of the flesh is flesh, verse 6. And that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. In other words, it is possible, Nicodemus. Nicodemus is saying, how? I'm set in my ways. We, We Jews have been doing this for a long time, and you are bringing a whole new paradigm here. I get you, but but how can a man uh, uh, change? And Jesus is saying, it is possible, Nicodemus, but not by human effort. The flesh cannot do this. You've been trying through your flesh to follow the minute details of God's law. You've been trying to pull yourselves up by your, by your spiritual bootstraps, and you guys are proud of, of how well you do at following these 613 commandments. And of course, later Jesus points out all kinds of hypocrisy and all kinds of ways that maybe they were following the letter but violating the heart and the intent of God behind these things, right? But Jesus is saying the flesh can't do it. Only God's spirit can cleanse you and give you new life. Only the Holy Spirit, the very Spirit of God, can can give you a a spiritual heart transplant. Only He can can make you born again. He says, you must not be born again by religious effort or legalistic fervor to obey God's law, but by the power of the Holy Spirit who will give you a, a new living spiritual heart. In other words, Nicodemus, church, a friend, you may be here this morning, and maybe you haven't been born again, but God will make your heart clean if you trust him. He can, he can change the hardest heart. He can do it. And, and, and that's the only way that man 
can please or know God. It's by being born again. Now, what happened to Nicodemus? Did he get born again? What do you think? I see a shrug. I see this. Well, the truth is the Bible actually doesn't answer that question for us. But it gives us a clue. And I'll tell you, I think he did. Later in, in, in John, John, John's gospel actually um, mentions Nicodemus by name briefly two more times. Okay, he's not a big character. He is right here in John 3, but later we don't really read much about him until we get to John chapter 7. And at this point, the Jewish leadership had rejected Jesus. They were threatened by this maverick, redneck preacher, right, who did miracles. And, and so, so they, they had rejected Jesus. They were taking counsel with how to destroy him. And we read in John 7, 51, that Nicodemus stood up for Jesus in front of the entire Sanhedrin. So he, and he, said, that, he said to them in verse 51, does our law judge a man without first giving him a hearing and learning what he does? In other words, stop, let's not plot against him. Let's, let's listen to him. And of course, they all turned on Nicodemus and said, are you from Galilee, you know? What has happened to you? Well, then we learn at the very end of the story in, in John chapter 19, after Jesus Christ had died on the cross, in verse 38 and 39, we, we read that Nicodemus personally helped Joseph of Arimathea bury Jesus' body. In fact, Nicodemus brought 75 pounds of very costly myrrh and aloe spices to, to anoint and to wrap Christ's body for burial. That's an, actual, that's an act of devotion. Okay, that's an act, that's a fruit of faith, it seems to me. So I'm, I'm going with, yeah, we're going to see Nicodemus in heaven, but the Bible is not entirely clear. What it is clear about is that we must be born of the Holy Spirit. And our last point here is that we must submit our hearts to God's Spirit. Um, you know, as Nicodemus and Jesus were meeting, we don't, they, they may have been in an upper room, they might have even been on a, on a rooftop, but it's possible that right then in their conversation, a gust of wind may have just blown through the room. Okay, may have blown the shutters open, may have blown the candle out. Um, because all of a sudden, Jesus says in verse 8, the wind blows where it wishes. And you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. So again, Jesus is explaining to Nicodemus how it's possible for a man set in his ways to have a rebirth, a spiritual rebirth. And he says it's through the power of God's Spirit. Now, now Jesus does a word play here that's kind of interesting. The, in, in both Greek and in Hebrew, the word for wind and spirit are the same. So it's pneuma in Greek and ruach in Hebrew. The, the same word means spirit or wind. Isn't that interesting? And so you actually have to look at context to know when you translate, is this talking about the Spirit or wind? And so this particular verse uh, took some, some work for those who translated it to, to translate it. And I think they got it right when, they, when, when, when Jesus Christ said, um, the wind blows where it wishes, not the Spirit blows. The wind blows where it wishes. You do not hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is everyone who is born of the Ruach. The, the Spirit. Now, of course, Jesus knew that wind is called, caused by differences in atmospheric pressure from the sun's slightly uneven heating of the earth. Okay, I mean, we think we're so smart. We know where the wind came from. 
Um, uh, basically, I mean, you, most of you know this if you've been through physical science, right? I had to look it up again because I'd kind of forgotten this stuff. But you look at the earth, you got mountains, you got valleys, right? You got water. And so air is actually heated um, uh, unevenly, okay? And so based on different pressures of the atmosphere, wind moves around, you have currents. So we know that's the cause of wind, and Jesus made all that. He knew all that. But you know what? Nicodemus did not. We might know a little more about the causation of the wind, but we certainly have no control over the wind. We might be able to kind of predict, yeah, we think the winds this morning should come from the the west or the north, uh, and this is how we think it's going to affect air pressure and temperature, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, Great sailing day, you know, bad sailing day, that kind of stuff. Hey, there's a hurricane coming. We may have instrumentation that can measure the wind, but we can't control the wind. The wind blows where it wishes, where it wishes. We can't see the wind, but we can feel the wind. We can see its evidence in our lives. So like the wind, Jesus is saying that we can't see the Spirit of God, but we can clearly see His work in the lives who've experienced Him, people who have been baptized by His Spirit. We can see the change, the difference. We can feel Him inside of us just like we feel the wind. Salvation, Jesus is saying, is a sovereign work of the Holy Spirit. He gets all the praise for my salvation and for your salvation. And he may be invisible, but his work is evident. So what we need to see from this is that we cannot save or clean ourselves. We need the Holy Spirit to do so. We need him to do the work. He gets all the glory. R.C. Sproul wrote, if you have in your heart today any affection for Christ at all, it is because God the Holy Spirit in his sweetness, in his power, in his mercy, and in his grace has been to the cemetery of your soul and has raised you from the dead. Boom. That's the bottom line. Now we can't control the wind. And we can't control God. He is sovereign. Now, as we land the plane here this morning, I need to ask you the question. And and I hope you'll ask yourself this question. And I hope you'll be honest. Have you been born again? If you haven't, according to Jesus, you are not yet a part of his kingdom. That means you don't have a place reserved in heaven. You are not a part of his spiritual family. Not yet. And maybe all this talk about God's sovereignty makes you feel like it doesn't matter what you do. Well, this couldn't be farther from the truth. Jesus says that we should ask him. That we should ask him for a new heart. We should pray and ask the Holy Spirit to to regenerate our souls. We should ask him to make us new. Remember, and we're going to study this when we get to chapter 4, he talked to a Samaritan woman at the well, and he asked her for a drink, and when she questioned that, he said to her in John chapter 4 verse 10, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Again, that same picture, that idea of the Spirit coming in and regenerating you, saving your soul, making you 
a new person, a new creation, given you a new heart. And Jesus later said in verse 14 of John 4 to the Samaritan woman, whom he greatly valued, whoever drinks of of the water that I give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. So if you're here this morning and you haven't yet truly been born again, let me call you to just simply bow before a sovereign God and ask Him. Cry out to Jesus in simple faith today. Pray for His Spirit to blow into your soul and to give you a new heart. And Paul tells us in Romans exactly how to do that. He writes, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, in other words, you say, I believe that Jesus is the Son of God, what, what these young people attested to this morning, that he died on the cross for my sins, that he rose from the dead, and that he's the way, the truth, and the life. I believe that. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Let's pray. We thank you for your saving work, O Lord. We thank you that while we were still your enemies, Christ came and died for our sins. We thank you that you have awakened our souls through faith such that that we seek you, but not because we had it in ourselves and our own flesh, but because you loved us first, because you sought us first. So we give you all the praise and glory for our salvation today and for our ability to commune with you and to know you. And Lord, I do pray if there's anyone in this room who needs to be born again, I pray that today would be the day that your spirit would work in their heart. I pray that today would be the day, even now would be the time, Lord, that they would simply bow their knee before Christ and ask him in humble faith to save them. Pray this in in his great name. Amen.